Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing, with our Board President, Doug Leeds. Welcome to today's program, where we will be exploring the work of the legendary playwright, August Wilson. We'll be back later to tell you more about the work of the American Theatre Wing. But right now, please join us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. With Radio Golf, the final work in August Wilson's 10-play cycle on African-American life, now on Broadway, we want to mark that milestone achievement by looking at the work of this singular voice in the American theater, which was silenced all too soon. I'm Ted Chabin for the American Theater Wing. Later in the program, we'll be joined by actors discussing the complex characters created by Wilson. But we'll start with a group of artists and producers who have played key roles in bringing August Wilson's work to the stage. We are joined by Jim Houghton, artistic director of the Signature Theater Company, which produced three of Wilson's plays this season. Todd Kreidler, August Wilson's longtime dramaturg. Kenny Leon, director of the Broadway productions of Radio Golf and Gem of the Ocean. Ruben Santiago Hudson, a Tony winner for his role in Seven Guitars and director of that play's revival this year at the Signature Theatre, and Jack Vertel of Jujamson Theatres, the lead producer of Radio Golf. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. I never met August Wilson, but I thought we'd start the conversation by asking, I think, Jack, you knew him longer than anybody here. What was he like? Um, you know, I, I, uh, my relationship with August began with me writing him a letter. And it continued with my writing him letters for many years as we produced, Drew Jampson produced the last six of, of the plays in the cycle. Uh, he rarely actually answered the letters. What would happen is I would, uh, <laughs> I would meet him for coffee at the, at the Polish Tea Room, the, the coffee shop at the Edison Hotel, and somehow he would answer the letters without answering the letters. The great thing about August, who was a wonderful raconteur and storyteller, is he would lead you a dance and do it with apparently complete innocence uh, and tell you the story of his new play that wasn't written yet, which might or might not turn out to be the story of his new play that wasn't <laughs> written yet, um, and respond to di different things that I had said to him in a letter or personally without ever directly answering a question. He was a wonderfully entertaining uh, coffee companion, but it's also true that um, he was completely committed and passionate about what he was doing and could be you know, fiercely independent about how he wanted to do it, which might or might not be the way that Broadway would typically do something. So there was this interesting and, in the end, kind of slightly unknowable combination of a wonderfully entertaining friend and raconteur and a deeply private, I think, passionate man who was on, was on a mission. He was on a mission like a heavyweight boxer is on a mission to, you know, go all 15 rounds. Um, it was a fascinating experience. Ruben, is that the man you knew? Well, you know, I, th I think he had so many sides to him. Uh, but, uh, of course, he was extremely passionate. But uh, when I first met August, it felt like it w I met him when I saw uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think it was 84. When I walked to that theater, I felt I had met him because he, he, was, he spoke directly to my heart. And those words leaped out of those actors' mouths off the stage into my heart. And I just said, Who, whoever is creating this, I need some of it. I need to be a part of it. 
and uh, and I and I pursued him uh, as Jack, Jack would say. I, wrote, I left a letter. He didn't uh, return it, but I <laughs> I ran into him at an audition, uh, and immediately he wrote a note down, which he showed me several years later. It was an audition for Two Trains Running. And um, I didn't get the role, uh, and Lawrence Fishburne went on to win the Tony. But August wrote a note. <laughs> August wrote a note. You know, same music that I have. Same, same. He's playing the same song. And then when Seven Guitars came up, I went and played that song again for him, and and that was my Tony. You're not telling a watermelon sweet. You don't thump it. You treat a watermelon just like you do a woman. <laughs> sweet. And if they soft, they sweet. That's what my daddy told me. Now, I don't know if it's true or not about the watermelon. <laughs> but I do know a soft woman is sweet. There is some women you just melt right into them. Now, I ain't talking about the fat woman, but I do know something about that. I know that. <laughs> there be more women there than any one man could handle. Todd, you, you worked for him for a number of years, yeah, did you? Yeah, we met in 1999 in Pittsburgh when we were doing the um, world premiere of King Hedley II. And, uh, I got invited into one of those conversations, and it carried on for, you know, until the end for seven years. And uh, um, that's how it started. It was just conversations. We were outside of a rehearsal break, and the cast went up into the room, unbeknownst to us. And then they came back, and then they said, "Are you guys coming back up to rehearsal?" And we found out two and a half hours had passed. And in that two and a half hours, we were somehow beginning a relationship that, you know, worked its way through. You know, yeah, Todd, I need to put this speech in the play. Uh, uh, you find a place for it, you know, and so we began this back and forth, and as Jack shared, he was always alive with these stories and was always working, and if you would see us together, as it came back to me, he said, you're the best job in the world, you hang out with August Wilson. I thought, well, it is the best job in the world, but you see we're hanging out, and in the meanwhile, we're like working on, you know, the, you know, a film idea, and then we have this over here, and then there's, you know, there's politics, there's, you know, Paul Hom and the Olympics and, you know, that issue. I mean, there's all these things happening at the same time, and he was always working. Every waking minute, he was working uh, and training and preparing for, you know, what culminates with Radio Golf. There's a wonderful line in the second act of Radio Golf about rules changing and having to change with the rules. And I, is, is that, does that kind of go for, for the way August wrote that he would, because he was not a trained playwright and sort of prided himself, I believe, on being, on, on sort of coming into it just, you know, from, from nothing. Um, Kenny, as a, as a director of his works, do you find, are there rules that he made and then broke, or did he just write them as they went along? I don't know. I think that he was always uh, in search of the truth. I mean, I think these guys probably knew August better than I did, but I feel like I only really got to meet him truly after he passed away. Um, I mean, of course, I, I, I knew him, and I, I saw, um, met him in 1987 um, at a production of Fences, and um, he's always been a man of, um, of loyalty and uh, principle and... Uh, in many ways, that's what radio golf is about. It's like what's right and what's wrong. And uh, even if you didn't agree with him, he had his right and wrong. And in 1988, when I became associate artistic director of the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, he gave me the rights to do Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And every year after that, he gave me rights to whatever play he had finished writing, even if it was running on Broadway. And he would always come down and spend time doing the previews and opening and help me with the plays. And um, I felt him to be extremely uh, a complex man, uh, uh, determined to say something that meant something, determined to really carry the load for uh, Americans and African Americans specifically. 
And I think that uh, we as Americans owe a great deal uh, to him for that, uh, for that weight that he, he carried. And he's certainly left a lot of work for all of us directors uh, and actors to do, and we thank him for that. But I find out that after working with Radio Golf in the last four months of his life, I find that I really only sort of had just begun to really understand him, and I think I understand him better now than I did when he was alive. And certainly we had a lot of good times together, and, uh, but um, um, I don't even know what you asked me. <laughs> when you mention rules, when you talk about rules, I think August made rules. Yes. He made his rules. Is, I think the one rule that he adhered to more than anything was the integrity of his people, the humanity of his people, which is the hardest thing to see uh, of black people in this country in arts. Very rarely do you get to see the humanity of us. Uh, the, 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 this is a thing that August was impeccable at. I mean, he, everybody, no matter what level they were on that, on that, on that, on, on in life, their humanity, their integrity, was. And that's what drew me so much. I said, "Well, I don't get to see this. I don't, as an actor, I don't get to, get to play those roles. It, on on the paper, it's not on the paper. I have to bring that to it. But with August, it's on the paper because he loves these people." And when I see productions and I don't see the love in the production, and I, I, I want to stop and say, uh, I want to knock on somebody's door and say, uh, you guys love each other. You might not like each other right now. You might not like each other all the time, but you do love each other. And this is a community. And I think that's very important when you see and witness his work that you feel the love of these people. It's interesting that you say that because I think one of the great things about that fact of the way August wrote is that he writes the most fantastic villains of the piece. You know, the villain of the piece is never just a villain. And you played maybe the greatest of all the villains, Caesar, Caesar, Caesar. Wilkes in, in Gem of the Ocean. But uh, James Williams, who's playing Roosevelt Hicks, who's kind of the villain of the piece in Radio Golf, it's a fascinating character. It's not just a bad guy. You know, there is no such thing as just a bad guy. In because of the humanity of the character. Yeah, yeah, because you see where they came from and how they got to be who they got to be and the failings and the inability to get over the top to actually be a better person is a tragedy for them, too, you know. It's because they're, they're all they're redeemable. Villains. August said that to me when he said, everybody in this play is redeemable. They're capable of being anything that you want, want them to be. So, and, and when I did Caesar, August and I, you know, we discussed it a lot, and I said, August, I said, I don't care if people like me. I want them to understand me. And so that was the way I set out to be understood, not necessarily be liked. I didn't need people to like me. Caesar didn't need people to like him, but he needs to be understood. So that's what I sought in the clarity of, 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 of the characterization of, of Caesar. But actors tend to want to be liked on stage. Is that No, a, is that, it? that doesn't phase me at all. Be understood. Yeah, no, that's important. You know, truth. Can you mention that? Let me be the tru truth of this character. Forget about what Reuben wants. What does Caesar want and why? And if you, if you know August, you know that he had some integrity. I'm talking about that character. Each character uh, has some integrity. What, what, was he an angry man? Every black man in America should be angry about something. <laughs> I mean, yesterday I was walking down the village dressed up as I could be, and a lady uh, walked straight up to me and said, uh, looked at a car that was sitting there and said, uh, where's this car going? And I said, ma'am, I don't know. She said, you're not the chauffeur? I'm dressed up. Why, why does she? <laughs> Every black man in this has something to be angry about at some time. You know, so uh, as far as I know, you know, I, I don't think he was bitter by any means, but I thought he had some anger. I think we all do. Well, August also had an expectation for justice, which is throughout all of the plays. And I think that the world in America constantly disappointed him. Um, but instead of turning that disappointment to cynicism, he used it as fuel to uh, um, um, address it in his work and, and put these issues on stage. And, and, and again, as Ruben said, put a full culture that 
is not somehow insufficient or um, it's somehow less than you know the dominant you know white you know largely Western European culture. So you want to say no, everything you need to live is in my culture too, and you know we play it different, and you know we have a different song, but everything you need is within this culture. And he braced it and put it on stage. I ain't got to like you, Mr. Rand. Don't give me my money come payday because he liked me. He give me because he owed me. Now I didn't give you everything I had to give you. I gave you your life. Your mama and me worked it out between us. And lacking your black ass was not a part of the bargain. And don't you try and go through life worried if somebody like you or not. You best make sure that they are doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying, boy? Yes, sir. Then you get the hell out of my face and go on down to the A&P. Jim, did you work with him when he was alive, or did you? Oh, yes. Um, we met. Uh, I had just taken over the O'Neill Playwrights Conference uh, after Lloyd Richards. And I followed Lloyd the last year, and then that was in 99. And in 2000, I, too, wrote a letter to August. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a letter, a letter somewhere. Yeah, he does. Uh, did you inviting get him? I did actually get oh, an answer. Oh man, that's wow. <laughs> not fair. But I didn't get the answer. The O'Neill got the answer. Right. I think I, I wrote him a letter saying because it had been years since he had been there, that this was a home for him, and if he ever wanted to return, uh, the invitation was an open one. And in fact, we uh, he actually didn't write me back, but he called me and he said, "I'm coming. Um, I'll be there." And literally, you know, a few days later, and, and suddenly he was at the O'Neill, and. Uh, it was a wonderful time there. He, he wanted to go back to the O'Neill because he was really struggling to finish Jim of the Ocean. And he, I think, on some level thought, if I go back to the place where all those other places, uh, uh, plays were born, uh, maybe, you know, the, the magic will happen and I'll be able to write, which in fact, um, sort of a fun story, we would gather, I think it was once or twice a week at the O'Neill and we'd share um, various material or we'd have a community meeting or something and so once in a while when there was a writer in residence I would ask if they want to read something so August said he would read uh, from Jem and we I think we had a couple hours put aside to do this and so of course it was wonderful he sat down and he's reading the play and and he gets to a certain point which was the end of act one as it turned out and he turns the the binder over and he says I think that's enough and and the place goes wild they loved it and <laughs> And then he whispers to me, that's all I had. <laughs> you know, so, you know, he uh, milked it for all he could get. He was so uh, generous at the O'Neill. And in, in fact, as it turned out, I don't think he was able to write a, a, a single word while he was there. But I think what it did do was re-engage him with that sort of spirit that was alive at the O'Neill and uh, is still at the, alive at the O'Neill. But he was so generous with the entire community there, and reflecting on all the things that have been said about him, the faith in humanity, the faith in the human condition, and the sensitivity to all people. Um, his generosity with the young interns to, to the senior artists who were present. Just uh, very giving. And it was there when we started talking about a season uh, together. And the initial thought was there was no reason to do a season because uh, all of his work had been presented, you know, on the stages of New York on a Broadway stage, and within about an hour, it had become clear that we were going to do a season. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> we both said, no, it doesn't make any sense. And 
uh, as people have alluded to, you know, with August, you sat down with him and you pushed the wor- you know pushed go, and it was three hours later. Um, you had been through a whole myriad of, of of topics and generally about three or four plays that he had in his head and ideas and. So we had gone in that uh, initial meeting together from not having a season to having a season of all new work that was going to be post the 20th cycle. And uh, that was about six years ago now. So um, we worked together on and off trying to discover what that season would be. Um, and through his struggles to get Gem of the Ocean finished and then ultimately Radio Golf, uh, we delayed slightly then um, to finish those and then obviously he fell ill and the season changed. Uh, am I right in saying that he didn't necessarily start out to write the 10 play cycle but he wrote Jitney first I think and then Ma Rainey and it was Ma Rainey the one that, that, that then he started to, to sort of plug in the pieces because they were not written in chronological order correct? Todd knows the answer to that. No. <laughs> yeah he discovered it I mean he discovered it in route so he had written Jitney and he had to play Fullerton Street um, and then Ma Rainey and then Fences, and then when he hit Joe Turner is when he said, wait a minute, I have each of these plays that sit in a different uh, decade. Why don't I create a larger project for myself and a larger cloth um, where I could always know what the next play is? (laughs) So in a way, it gave him not only an ambition, but it also helped keep him going. So for instance, you know, as soon as he finished King Headley the second, in fact, the morning after the Broadway opening, we met at what was once the Java shop on I think 42nd and Broadway or 46th, and that was the spot. We always met at the spot. Hey, man, meet me at the spot. And uh, um, so that was our spot. And that morning, I remember he had a note card. And he put it down, and it said, you know, Solly Two Kings, you know, Caesar Wilkes, and Black Mary, all the characters for Gem of the Ocean, which he was already working on the next play. So it was like he just had his Broadway opening, and, uh, you know, we had great notices and everything, and his mind is already on to the next play. So, it, 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 again, it was something that... It, it, w- it, w- it came out of his exploration, but he purposefully held off doing the 1904 play and the 1997 play. So there is, you know, there's a genealogical connection through the plays. And I think now, as we're even beginning to discover, when you have these final two plays, you can look at all the rest of them in a different way. I mean, they shed different values and light uh, on, on each, of the, each of the plays. I had an interesting conversation with him right after Two Trains Running Open, which I guess was the fifth written, something I like think that. So, yeah. Uh, at the Edison, our coffee shop, <laughs> and uh, he said to me, I've been thinking a lot about Tennessee Williams, and I did not picture him as someone who would read Tennessee Williams necessarily. And I said, really, why? And he said, well, you know, he got into this place, of his late plays where they didn't really succeed. And I've got these five plays I've still got to write. And I'm trying to figure out <laughs> how not to do what Tennessee Williams did. Because he's a great artist, a great, great artist who somehow went off the rails at a certain point in terms of connecting with his audience. And he said, I can't do that. I've got to figure out how to write five more of these plays without that happening to me. He said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But he kind of did it. I have a a question. How how, how do the folks here on this panel feel about what August has done and how it will affect the the, the playwrights that are coming behind him? Will it affect them? Will it open the door for these other young playwrights? Is it now that August is is not here with us physically, now now what happens to those coming behind? Did he open that door? Is that door down on Broadway for us now? Is it open? You know, what do you think? What do do you guys think about that? I think the Broadway door is what it has been for a long time, and I'm not, I can't say I'm proud of it or happy about it, which is, by and large, things come to Broadway because there's a commercial reason to bring them here. And Broadway's, yeah, they, they, Broadway's they, become a showcase rather than a generator of productions. Um, and the great thing that happened to August 
might not happen again so easily, which is that in a slightly earlier time, he became famous in a way. Mm -hmm. And the fame of who he was and what he was doing and what he was trying to accomplish made things like producing Gem of the Ocean and Radio Golf on Broadway mm -hmm. inevitable. I think for someone writing a play like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom today, a first play by a young playwright, it's going to be hard to get that play on Broadway because we're not doing a very good job on Broadway of finding an economic, a business model that will allow that to happen. There's a tremendous life off-Broadway and in the region. Tremendous. And that, I think, I think he's done a huge amount there. Among other things, a tremendous acting pool has been created and directing pool will be mm -hmm. created around African-American theater because these plays exist. There's ten, ten plays. There's a lot of plays. Yeah. And I think that um, one thing August has already done is open the doors for playwrights all over the country. You know, uh, were it not for August Wilson, you know, Cheryl West, Regina Taylor, um, all the Akia Catherine, they would not have the opportunity to, to write for the regional theaters. And mm -hmm. August always said, you know, we're, we're owed the work. We're not owed anything else, right. you know. Yeah. And uh, sometimes we get caught up in understanding what the rewards are, you know. It's like people are all over the country, you know, and uh, there are many mediums to get the work out there. And uh, we just got to continue to work on Broadway. I mean, I look at what's happening on Broadway this year, and not only uh, the, the non-existence of African-American writers, but, you know, American writers, right. you know, they're more British in right, but plays, You can but bring an unknown play without one visible star from London and put it on Broadway, right. uh -huh. but yet we fight and struggle to put August Wilson right. up. That's right. And for me, mm -hmm. you know, now that I've uh, put myself in, a, in, in, in as a writer and a director, uh, so I can hopefully make a change somehow, uh, it's like, sometimes it's baffling to me. I'm saying, you know, they say, we don't have a star in that August Wilson play, we can't bring it. I'm like, it's August Wilson. The star is August Wilson. And people sometimes, they get mixed up about who is the star. Even when we did Gemini Ocean, I didn't care anything about my name being above the title. I thought August should be, and all of us should be under. But when one person goes, you have to well, put me too. But August <laughs> is the star. People come because of that name, because of, because of the, the beauty and the music and the lyrical sweep of that work, the history there. That is the star of the work. But they'll bring something that nobody, you know, play. I never heard a play, never heard of the guy, but I don't know all the plays. But they'll put it up and let it run. When we closed Seven Guitars, Ideal Husband ran beyond us, and I know our numbers were much stronger than them, and they ran three, four months past us. Why was it important for August to be on Broadway? I know Jitney was the only one of the cycle that was not on, done. It was done in New York, we done in second stage. But uh, part of the reason that I asked the question is because is clearly he was minding the African American world in this country and in, in this cycle. But I wondered, did he want to play those for a mixed audience, a white audience, a black audience? Did he want to find new audiences for the theater, or did he just want to want to? I think all of the above. But I also think for August, it was we we, we talked about this a little bit. For better or worse, Broadway was the power center of the American theater, and he felt that it was important, not just for him personally, for his personal gratification, but that it was important in a larger sense for an African-American writer who'd been recognized as a playwright to be on Broadway, to be where other recognized playwrights were, American playwrights were. If Arthur Miller was there and Tennessee Williams was there and David Mamet was there, then August Wilson should be there. And I think that he drove to that center very hard. He wanted those plays done on Broadway. And he was very clear about that. I think it had to do with, there's a great speech in, in, in Radio Golf about, you know, you try to get to the center and you find out you're back out on the edge. It had to do with being in the center, not the edge. The center may not be the healthiest place economically for a play to be, but it is the center. 
Right, and, uh, and, and for the record, his audience was one. I mean, he wrote for himself, first and foremost. I mean, that's what drove him. When nobody cared what he was writing when he was, you know, at Esteban's in St. Paul and he was scribbling or whatever. I mean, that's who he always wrote for, so he never, uh, um, that, that question was baffling to him. I mean, uh, but I think Jack answered it well that it's, as you said, Broadway is the national theater, so that's, that's our guide star. And but he, yeah. even though he wrote for him, the, you, the light in his eyes when he started telling it to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're yeah. <laughs> 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 in the belly of a ship, and that's what he's going to say. She's going to come out of the room, and she's going to be 360. You know, be like, oh, you, yeah. you know, but he wrote for him, but he shared with all. Absolutely. And, and it's funny because somebody else asked me about why it was August. Uh, you know, he was a hard man. He was, I said, August brought more people of different colors together than anybody I've seen. Yeah. You know, it's like if you look at the people that surrounded him and the foundation of, of, of his work, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible mosaic, you know. And, yeah. and, and that's all you have to do is look around at the people involved in his work and you'll see the impact of August Wilson. Anybody want to venture a guess as to which one of the cycles, which one of the plays in the cycle might end up being the, the best single play? That's I mean, a lot. Well, the reason that the part of the reason I ask is somebody mentioned Joe Turner as being the the play that wasn't appreciated, or that August may have felt the production didn't didn't reach his expectations. Sort of, that's the one to keep an eye on. And I don't know if that's a figment well, of somebody's imagination. It wasn't. It wasn't the. He never said anything about the production. Uh, he said that Joe Turner was his favorite play at the time, and then Gem of the Ocean started to compete. I, I think with Gem of the Ocean opened up a whole uh, uh, direct Africa connection and spirituality that people really were afraid of at Joe Turner. It's the same, it's that going back, it's that Africanness in us. And now that Gem has been here, I think people are open. I, I, just, I just feel that they're open more than now they, they can relate more to Joe Turner. I think people didn't know what to do with Joe Turner. It was so spiritual and it was so African. And, and, and not until Gem did they really, ah, there we are. So I think it's, it's real fertile right now, and, and I think uh, there's a need and a hunger for August's work, and, and we have to somehow fulfill that, not only as artists, but as producers and as audience members. It's a need and, and it's a hunger for it. And Jim, you found audiences this year, did you not, for the signature oh, yeah. season? I, I think what Ruben was just alluding to is really context. You know, uh, the more plays, the more context we have to understand and accept and relate to Joe Turner. I mean, it's a, I, I find every play to be just a rich, rich experience for different reasons. And That's the thing. I mean, I agree with Ruben. I mean, it's there, but all ten plays are unique yeah. and special in themselves, it's like your ten children. And it's like radio golf cannot be Joe Turner. Joe right. Turner cannot be right. two trains. They're right. all different, but they are from the same heart, the same voice. And they feel and a need to want to see the next one. Oh, I got it now. I got to go see, you know, now. For some reason, I've been wanting to see a uh, um, piano lesson recently. I've just been wanting to, mm -hmm. and I just have all the scripts always handy, and I'll grab them and i start reading it. But one thing feeds something else, and you want more and more and more. And Radio Golf is, the, is the, so modern and contemporary and different from any of the yeah. others. It's, an, it's, it's like a shock to the system when you see it. Very funny and right there and... Uh, you know, a totally different kind of characters than the characters he's written in right. the past. The first I one he's amazing. dealing with the middle class, right. you know, and he had Caesar Wilkes, and now he has, you know, descendants of Caesar. That's exciting and great to look and at. And I think he loved that challenge. He said, do you think I write this kind of play? Yeah. Wait a minute, yeah. just wait. Absolutely. You stay here. Wait a minute, I'll be right back with another one. You know, it's completely different. Yeah, and in and, and Radio Golf, mining the, the various aspects of the middle class and the spectrum of the middle class, is that, that is, is, I mean, that's an extraordinary thing to, to go out on. It's like, okay, here's the middle, here's the African-American middle class, and there's this and there's that. So watch them, you know, watch them play, play with each other. And what was amazing, you know, I, I, I was blessed to have worked 
on the bookends, Gem and Ocean and Radio Golf. But in Gem and Ocean, when we came through that door, you have a man coming through the door as an uh, individual, and he leaves the, that, that play uh, part of a full community. Flash forward 1997, okay, you got economics, you got money, you can do almost anything you want, but what about the community? What about your tie to the whole, you know? So you can really look at Jim and Ocean, look at Radio Golf and say, wow. I mean, the man was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Well, we could go on all, all, all afternoon, but I would like to thank you all very much for, for being here. Uh, we'll be back in a moment with part two of our show after a few words about the work of the American Theatre Wing. The American Theatre Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. We stand for excellence and we support education in the theatre. Best known for creating the Tony Award, our work reaches beyond Broadway and New York. These seminar programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are an unequal forum for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth interviews are heard on XM Satellite Radio. Our grant and scholarship programs support New York theater companies and theater students. And since we began, we have given away more than two and a half million dollars. Our theater intern group helps young people who are just starting in their careers build a professional network. And Springboard NYC is a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Now, let's return to the seminar. I uh, generally start with an idea, a question, uh, can you acquire a sense of self-worth by denying your past? So having posed the question, then I will invent a series of circumstances and situation to answer the question and oppose it. But I start anywhere in the script with a line of dialogue and get the actors, uh, the characters talking. And the more they talk, the more I find out about them. The more I find out about them, the more I find out about the story. And the more I find out about the play just goes where it goes and I just sort of go with it. That was playwright August Wilson at a 1987 American Theatre Wing seminar describing how his work changed and grew as it came to life on stage. With us now are four actors who've made indelible impressions in work by August Wilson. Stephen McKinley Henderson, who created roles in Jitney and King Hedley II and appeared in the revival of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Harry Lennox of Radio Golf, who also played the title role in King Hedley II at the Mark Taper Forum. Tanya Pinkins, who's performed in numerous productions of The Piano Lesson, and is now appearing in the current Broadway production of Radio Golf. Felicia Rashad, who created the pivotal role of Aunt Esther in Gem of the Ocean and recently directed that play at the Seattle Rep. And we're once again joined by Kenny Leon. So I, I wanted, I wanted to, to start with Felicia because you, you created a, a rather pivotal role in, in Gem of the Ocean. Um, what was it like creating a role like that with August Wilson there for you? It was, uh, oh, I don't know the words to describe this experience. It was unlike anything I've ever known. Um, the role itself is unlike any other role in theater that I know of. I don't know of another role like Aunt Esther. I don't know of another 
person who embodies everything that she holds and who lives with such purpose the way she does. I've never heard of such a thing. Um, but to be there with him, he was silent most of the time. He, he didn't say much to me, except once he corrected a gesture. There was something I had done that I thought was okay to do. It was leaning on a chair like this, listening to Citizen. And he said, that's too modern. She wouldn't sit like that. And I thought about it. Then I thought about the way the women dressed and the way the women worked and the way the women were with their bodies. And I said, that's why she wouldn't sit like that. And that was the one thing that he, that he said directly to me. He talked about your singing. He didn't talk about it to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh what did he say? I want to know. What did he say? Because <laughs> no? we were dealing with 1904, and he didn't want it to, to sound like a specific religion. Right. He wanted it to sound older than, than, than organized American religion. Mm -hmm. So he kept wanting to get that kind of older feel to it. Mm -hmm. I guess I was the one that kept saying to you to put that layer on there. And, of course, you did, and he was happy. Mm. <laughs> but I thought he said it to you. But you know, August always said, you know, there should be one person that talks to the actor. Yeah. <laughs> you should be the person to talk to the actor. So he never would, like, no. run around and give an actor a note. He would talk to an actor about stories and stuff like that. But he was always respectful like that. He always wanted a director to come to the table with your tools, come as a director. Yes. You know, he always wanted that. If you're a costume designer, design the clothes. <laughs> Come to work. Work as hard as he does on the plays. Mm -hmm. Harry you're, and Tanya, you're, you're in, in, in performance as we speak on, on Broadway and in, in Radio Golf, and they're wonderfully clearly delineated parts. Um, what was it like? I mean, this is, this is the last of the ten play cycles, and it's the one that takes place in the most current recent times, 1997. Um, yeah, this is, you were in the Gem of the Ocean, the penultimate, which was the very first. <laughs> yes. yeah. So, you know, did, did you recognize these people, or, or did you have to go searching for them? No, no, no. I think in all of August Wilson's <laughs> plays, you know these people. They're in your family. <laughs> you know all the people in August plays. And this play, We've got some new voices. We have the voices of the people who didn't know Aunt Esther because she died in King Headley. So you're hearing some new voices that you didn't hear in the earlier August Wilson's plays. And in many ways, it's about those two songs and how can they uh, play in counterpoint. I'm sacrificing my business, giving up my clients. Harmon, we've worked too hard. I'm not willing to be the police commissioner's man. We need him at the groundbreaking ceremony. Do you understand how important this is? If the commissioner doesn't come, we throw away our police support. Then we lose the firemen and the labor unions start to worry. Who wants a mayor who can't protect the city? And Harry, so you're running for office in the play, or thinking <laughs> in real life too? I'm running for the mayorality of Pittsburgh, uh, and um, the August has really created a meditation on time, and the three aspects of time are the past, the present, and the future. How do we go into the future by forgetting our past? You can't. And I think that Harmon uh, and the two people he comes into the play with, his wife, Mame, and uh, his best friend, Roosevelt, represent the present. And Mame and Roosevelt keep going into the future, but Harmon gets stopped. He gets arrested in his development and realizes he cannot go forward without embracing that past. You should feel the woodwork. If you run your hand slow over some of the wood, you can make out these carvings. There's faces, 
lines making letters in old language. And there's a smell in the air. That's them mothballs. People used to throw mothballs all through their old shit. They'll stink up there like that. No. The air in the house smells sweet like a new day. Do you think don't take any wooden nickels is the, is the last the line for, on which August... <laughs> I mean, that's the last line of his last play, right? Uh, yeah, of course it is. That's a very interesting moment. We've been playing with that moment. It's a very <clears throat> complex moment, you know, because there's a lot of pain there, too. You have a 30-year friendship that you had, and, and that's, that's, you know, dissipating. But I think he... I think the character has nothing else to say. You know, he must do what he does, and Roosevelt must walk out the door. But you know what I want to say? You know, I've never had this opportunity to sit around a table with, like, these great, great actors, and we're not in rehearsal, you know? <laughs> so what I want to say is, like, August Wright, there's these, these beautiful plays, and not everyone can do August Wilson plays. Not every black person or every black actor can really do these roles, and I think we're lucky and fortunate to have these talented people. And, uh, but it's challenging for a director. I've talked to Felicia, she just directed. It's challenging sometimes when you have actors and how do you get them all on the same page. But what's beautiful to me is like to know that actors are capable of getting to the music of August Wilson. As a director, if I don't think an actor is capable of getting to the music, then I have to make a change early on and <coughs> replace that actor. But these actors, they are talented and <laughs> gifted and and they can get there, you know? They may all get there different ways, but it's beautiful to watch actors get there, and it's also painful to watch an actor who can't get there with uh, all this work. It's, it's painful, too. I'm sure you know. I'm sure that Felicia knows, uh, uh, and, and Stephen, even more than I, uh, particularly with the Aunt Esther thing, because that she represents uh, all of us for our entire sojourn here in the United States. Um, it's painful to be in it. You know what I mean? Like there, there are times when you're doing a, when you're doing one of these characters, that it hurts. And in order to uh, to find the safety of being able to inhabit these characters the way that August Wilson demands, he's a very challenging man um, oh, yeah. in real life. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you know, the, the thing is to uh, it's wonderful to appreciate the performances of other actors. I mean, what Ms. Rashad did with Aunt Esther. I mean, it's just quite, yeah, as good as it gets. Yeah. And, and I remember the experience because I remember thinking about my uh, Aunt Little down in Oklahoma and uh, well, how she taught how to put a smoke pot out to keep the mosquitoes away and to be on the porch. And, and, and it was like sitting at her feet again, you know, and hearing that wisdom. And, and, and that's what August really gave us all, you know, is that the, to, to, to see the very best of yourselves and of your ancestors. And that's why I think what Kenny's talking about, I know I uh, was in the first class at the Juilliard School, Group One, and uh, felt a little culture shock, because I come from Kansas City, and, 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 uh, but I, I love doing the work, but I didn't feel at home, you know what I mean? I mean, I love doing it, right. and love being uh, exposed to, to, to the classics, but I didn't feel as at home, and uh, time go along and it come around, you know, and you realize that your journey, I really feel like my journey as an actor, was to lead to work with August Wilson. Because yes. if, if you can do what they're talking about in radio golf, if you can keep that sense of the ancestry and the pride in having very little, but there's a pride there. And also know that you, uh, you are an inheritor of all that there is that's here. That you don't have to take load from nothing. You know, you can, you can, everything that's out there is yours to get, but you don't have to let go or deny anything to go and be a part of that new world. And there was a time, culturally, 
uh, in the theater that I find that, that that was the case, that, you know, you would be so struck by people who were being other than themselves in order to work in the American theater. But so I, I just sit here and know all these people who are at home in the classics and they're at home in August. Well, right. that's not, you know, as Lorraine Hansberry would say, things don't just happen, things happen just. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so it's wonderful to, to have that, to, to, to have your, your journey vindicated, to have gone through whatever you've gone through in this business, to go through all the changes, to get to be in one of August's plays, you know, yeah. to get to be among the, the family that celebrates his, uh, you rejoice in him completing those ten plays. It's a, I mean, it really is. And, and that's why I, I, I'm just so glad to be here with this, you know, because you, you guys are doing some very important work, and I can't wait to see it again. I've seen it. I saw it in, in California, and I saw it in Chicago, and I can't wait to see this one because, you know, every step of the way with August, you know, everybody that worked with him, you know, uh, every always growing. Oh, it's growing. It's growing. It's, it's, it's becoming something. And um, so I, I just rejoice in that he finished the 10 plays, you know. And then I had an uh, incredible uh, time with him, especially working on Jitney, uh, the one that didn't go to Broadway, right. which becomes a, a badge of honor now. You know, I mean, <laughs> there was a time all of us in that show said, man, what, what's going on here? You know, yeah. but now it's, it's, it's really... Um, and we did get to go to, to London and, and, and August got the Olivier Award for, for that show. But it, it's to be in the family of the actors here, and especially we were commenting about that Roscoe just left us, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and to, to see uh, that, um, you know, the struggle continues, yeah. as all of us say, the struggle continues. Been in the penitentiary for 20 years, right down there at the Western State Pen. Beth ain't never been down there to see him once. Yeah. I think it's a shame. Becca just wrote him off his list. Yeah, well, that's his business, I guess. Hell, that's his own son. And if he ain't gonna stand by him, who gonna? He ain't got nobody else. Why do you think Jitney didn't come to Broadway? Just oh, happenstance? You know, I, I, okay, now, nah, I don't go too. Yeah. Mystic on you here, you know. <laughs> no. But but honestly, when I think about it now, had it gone, it would have added a year. So you see, as I say, things don't just happen. It wasn't supposed to go. Yeah. Now that's one answer. Yeah. Because because the timetable was somebody else's timetable. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't our timetable. Mm -hmm. As a stool pigeon might say, you know, uh, uh, I got a plan. You know. So that's one answer to why it didn't go. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't supposed to. Now, what are the, you know, the, the reasons and the other thing? You know, let's save that for somebody that wants to write a book about it. Uh, I just, I'd love to be interviewed for that book. But, uh, but, but, but really, you know, it's, it's, it's just not as significant as the fact that he uh, completed the, the it, it always fascinates me when actors work with living playwrights that, and, and something is therefore new. I mean, I, I respect that August didn't want to talk to actors, but were there any circumstances where there was something that bothered the, you in the words? Maybe they weren't, you know, and, and did you engage August in any conversation or was he so extraordinary in, in, in his singularity that there really wasn't anything to be? There was never a problem in the words. <laughs> Never a problem in the words. Yes, the, in, the entire journey of, of my career was leading me to this, exactly. And when I arrived in it, I thought, oh, 
this couldn't have happened before this moment. I wouldn't have been ready for this before now. Being in an August Wilson play was a dream that I thought would never be realized for me because for so many years I was viewed as a television actress. Uh, you know, whatever that means. People just don't pay attention to the fact that you've developed yourself in theater, that your training has been in theater, that all of your early years and, and performance experience has been in theater. Television actress. So I just thought that would never happen for me. And when it did, I felt that, okay, now I've really arrived someplace. I'm really where, I'm really someplace. The language, the words, this is what I'm getting yeah. to. I would sit backstage and listen to other actors in performance. And all of a sudden, I was hearing drums talking drums. Every character was a talking drum and each drum had its own rhythm and they played together to create this symphony of, of, of rhythm and emotion and sound and it was like riding the waves of a great ocean. It, it was exhilarating. It, 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 the language, his language, all you have to do is pay attention to the text. Not only will the text show you where to go, the text will take you there. I came across that ocean, Mr. Citizen. I cried. I had lost everything. Everything I'd ever known in this life, I lost that. I cried an ocean of tears. You ever lose? Anything like that, Mr. Citizen, the way you so lost, the only thing that can guide you is the stars. That's all I had left. Everything I'd ever known was gone to me. The only thing I had was the stars. Never a problem with his language. <laughs> but, but, but the text demands a certain, uh, it, it, it presupposes a certain amount of capacity to do it. Like, you know, yeah. Kenny's always talking about acting on the line. He's a tremendous director, by the way. You know, I, I, it's not just my opinion. I think that, uh, <clears throat> that we all would concur that he is tapped in to August's uh, uh, game plan. And, and, but to implement the language, uh, the, the way that Felicia's talking, you can see, my series is great, is how that's, but, uh, but uh, it, it, it requires a certain muscularity. The language itself is muscular. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to develop a certain amount of physical aptitude to be able to carry this thing off for the two and a half or three hours long that, that we have to do it. And, and so there's a discipline involved with August Wilson, as I was talking about, that it is sometimes painful. It is sometimes physically, spiritually, emotionally uh, painful, and you have to, you know, you, but you have to have this great superstructure that supports uh, the emotional investment that you have to take uh, uh, every night. And it, it's, it's, not, it's not de minimis at all. I'm fascinated by his, his description of the middle class and how, and, and how he, he, he clearly, so much obviously of what he wrote came from his background in, in, the, in the Hill District in, in Pittsburgh and then his other experiences. But I'm fascinated by, um, do, you, do you think he speaks to African-American audiences 
And if not, I mean, are there, is there a way to, to pull them in? Do, do they, are they attracted to August work, or do you have to go get them? Well, you know, um, only a certain amount of our population attends theater. Yeah. They, they attend other art forms, but, you know, uh, only a few. Uh, so uh, I guess August speaks to the human spirit. He speaks to the capacity right. of the human spirit. Yep. And, and, and that's what the theater exists to reveal, the capacity of the human spirit. Some things crush us, some things we rise above, some things, you know. But uh, I, my favorite quote of August is something he wrote in the uh, Paris Review. Uh, it was an interview, and he said, I sit down to, to, to write in the same chair that Sophocles sat in, the same chair that Ibsen sat in, the same chair that Williams sat in, you know what I mean? Uh, Miller sat in. And so he, he clearly was saying, he joins the fraternity right. of playwrights. So, yes. you know, I mean, he's right, you know. And uh, as, as Todd uh, pointed out in the other interview, he, he wrote from his sense of the world. You know, I mean, every writer, he writes from his sense of the world. He had this beautiful sense of the world, you know. And it came from the Hill District. And when you say middle class, you know, at different points in African Americans' history, middle class was a, a different economic figure, you know, and it didn't have anything to do with college. Being in the middle class had nothing to do with college in previous years. But in, in uh, radio golf, it's the first play that is occupied by college graduates, you know. And then, so this, this whole thing about, you know, how you see the world and, and what, how much do you give up for that degree? How much do you give up to be a part of the intelligentsia? And, and so what's the trade-off? So when, when you can be a marriage of all that, when you, you know, when you be, because his August experience was, was quite unique in, uh, in terms of playwrights, you know, in terms of the world of letters and education and so on and so forth. He got a high school degree from Carnegie Library, right. you know, the only one that they gave, which, uh, I mean, there's not a student that we have in school today that wouldn't... Uh, you know, be oh, maybe three days a week in the library instead of in, right. in a dangerous classroom might be very good for a lot of them. But, um, so, uh, you know, I, I, it, to me, you know, I mean, when he say what he wrote, there's so many people who are coming to see Jitney or Cohen C. Joe Turner's come and gone. Immigrants, you know, first generation in America from other countries, and they see Joe Turner right. and say, wow, that, I understand, you know, mm -hmm. and get it. So it's, it, and it goes, we, we were in London doing, doing Jitney, and, and uh, the Asian people who came, who were cab drivers, who would come up and say, yeah, 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 you know. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, uh, recognize yeah, you. Because he tapped the thing so pure mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, 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 it, 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 it talks to everybody, but I think crucially important is that um, uh, the people who didn't value themselves yet to value themselves, you know, mm -hmm. and, and even find out that, well, other people valued you because they got a lot out of you, mm -hmm. but, you know, you didn't value yourself, so that's what's so wonderful. We did Pittsburgh. When you go to Pittsburgh and do an August Wilson play in Pittsburgh, it's that like doing Shakespeare at Stratford, you know, <laughs> you, you got to know your stuff, man, and, and the, the, I would never forget playing uh, Jitney in Pittsburgh, and, and then I had some gesture where I made fun of a guy, said, yeah, you know, that, that boy that used to live down the street that had that funny shaved head, something like that. Always had written, you know, thing that he allowed me to, to, to do this mm -hmm. with, you know. And after the show, this guy comes and says, that's my uncle, man. <laughs> you know, and with pride, you know, and because there was a time that I'm sure that that was something that hurt that kid, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, and, and uh, one other thing I'd love to say, Tracy Goldblum, I don't know if you know her, but she, she was in Abrams Agency uh, here mm -hmm. in town. And her grandfather was Doc Goldblum. And August has Doc Goldblum in several of the plays. He mm -hmm. mentions his name, Doc mm -hmm. Goldblum. And he was a really, real, a real doctor. 
and he, he was appreciated because he would come up and, 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 and do services for people in the hill for what they could pay, or a chicken or something. And, and Tracy Goldblum always likes to, 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 to go and see a play to see if, if he's going to be in 50s or 40s or 30s, you know, it's around right. in there. And uh, that she said that at family gatherings, you know, that they would sometimes say, you, you're not going back up there, are you? You know, y'all come on stage, stay here for this meal or something, and you don't get anything out of it. And he said, oh, I do it. Well, see, August honors that contribution. You know, and like the character Selig that's in both, uh, Joe the, you Turner. know, Joe Turner and Jim of the Ocean. You know, he, he, he really does. Uh, so, I mean, it's a human thing. It's a human thing. And he wrote great plays, great parts for both men and women. Tanya, I wanted to ask, what, what's it like being the only uh, woman in, uh, in radio <laughs> golf? Ah, <laughs> well! <laughs> it's great having all these men around me all the time. <laughs> I think also she's the first professional woman that he, he wrote. She's the first professional uh, August Wilson character. And so that's very special to me because I know for me coming to New York, in the, when I came to New York in the 80s, other people were writing black people and they were writing their version of black people and their version of black people wasn't what I knew. So I always felt fake playing the black people in white people's versions of black. You know, like, oh, you got to sing gospel. I'm like, I'm Catholic. <laughs> you know, I don't sing gospel. But no, that's what black people do. So you have to do that. So to come to an August play where the voices are just, you know, I know these people. It's my aunt. It's my uncle. Um, it's just this incredible gift that he's given to African-American actors that he's given to the theater. Are there parts that you've played in different ones of his pl plays? Different parts, I mean, in, in different roles in different plays. Yeah, well, yeah I, uh, you know, different parts of the country. In Buffalo, I play, uh, say, Troy and Bynum. Uh, and then in Denver, I play Bono. Uh, you know, just, you know, it depends on what market you're in, you know, because they're all just wonderful roles, and you get to work mm -hmm. with such wonderful actors when you get to do them. Because I know you played uh, uh, Bono with my good friend John Cothran, right? Or oh, I directed Fences with John Cothran. Oh, you directed, oh, okay. but right. now you, but you did some acting. I too. did on uh, he originated Citizen the role of Citizen and Jim and Ocean. Right. Really? All right. No, no, I knew. Yeah, I, yes, I yes. created the role, but I didn't know I was going to end up directing the play gotcha. and bringing yeah. it to Broadway. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, you know, it's wonderful to do the shows, you know, different places. And, and what's really wonderful is, um, like, I've done all the backyard plays. You know, I've just got the backyard plays, <laughs> and he's got the, the workplace plays, you know, like where you're in the jitney station, or you're in the restaurant, or you're in the recording office. studio, right. or you're in the audience. This is our office. This is the last workplace play. So you got four workplace plays, right? And then mm -hmm. three backyard plays, and, um, and three parlor plays, or, you know, living room plays. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a joy, but there was a point in the time he was writing that he always had children in. So that's also fascinating because it gives them a chance to play like Reuben and Zonia, mm -hmm. and also to get to play uh, uh, the daughter in, in piano lesson, Maritha, what's her, what's her Maritha. name? Maritha. And, 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 you know, and so you get to play those, that level of roles, then you get to play the Sterlings and the Youngbloods and the, the Renas and, 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 and Reese's, and, then, and, and you get to play older characters. So, you know, you really do get to come all the way through. It's just an incredible uh, thing that he did with those 10 plays. And it, it's fascinating that there are so many characters that are related or are the same at different times, but I, I, I read somewhere that he tended to start writing by writing a little dialogue and then sort of figuring out who was saying the dialogue and sort of growing out from there, which, which is maybe why, even though this is a 10-play cycle, there are each one of them individual plays that have have their own story to tell. He sort of let those characters speak, and you know, he doesn't take sides, he just let them 
talk, and you know he has seventy-seven characters in all of his plays. I mean, combined, and uh, but just talk about the universality of his plays. You know, I talked to some women from Tel Aviv, and they're going to do like three of his plays next year. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, the Kennedy Center, we're going to end up doing all ten. Hopefully, all these actors will join me in working on those ten plays at the Kennedy Center. But then you look around the country, you have uh, culturally specific uh, African American theater companies like uh, Penumbra who are doing his plays. You have the larger theaters like the Goodman Theater and Mark Table Forum doing his plays. Then you have commercial opportunities and doing them on Broadway. You know, August has introduced his plays to the world and to many races. I saw Ma Rainey in South Africa. Mm. You know, wow. so he, his plays is much more universal than we uh, sort of give him credit for. The man is the, the godfather of, uh, of theater. It's an interesting thing too, Kenny, uh, uh, and uh, that the plays which live individually, uh, mm. particularly, um, they, they, each story is intact in and of itself, but there is this intertextuality that happens. And I, you know, I think in a lot of ways August uh, was on an artistic mission that Einstein was on when he died, which was to come up with the grand unifying theory that would combine uh, astrophysics and relativity with, um, with quantum mechanics. How do you make those two things work? And I think that August was, you know, was dealing with how do we make all of our history and all of our present and all of our, you know, how do we make all of those things fit together? Because that's really where we're trying to go as a people. And I think that as we as a people go, as an African-American people go, we as a nation also go. There's a a, connect, a connectivity issue that has happened between uh, African America and America as a whole, and America as a whole with the rest of the world. And we all have to keep trying to find the center there where we have uh, this common denominator. That, that's extremely well spoken, and I think that that's a, a wonderful way for us to end this conversation. And I have to say that I think it is an indicative of how extraordinarily passionate Alcus Wilson's work is to have such extraordinarily passionate people on this panel. I'd like to thank all of you for being here. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York with our partners CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, thank you for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. <laughs>